Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform. With an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Unless in here in a trap room, you're, <laughs> you will have the coronavirus in whenever like 22 ask, minutes. Whenever people ask if I'm sick, I'm like, oh, it's just allergies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the joke at the office is like, I think I'm going to catch your allergies. <laughs> what type of allergies do you have? I'm like, I have the allergies that make me throw up. Right. Uh, or like, I think I'm you know, like the stomach allergies. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I was like, you got to go home. I'm like, it's just allergies. You, you can catch these allergies, but it's allergies probably. <laughs> Let's just jump right in and call this guy. So we're going to call this guy uh, Tom. The backstory here is I posted on our, uh, we made like a Facebook group for the podcast. If you're on Facebook, just search My First Million. And I posted in there, I was like, man, I really want to talk to somebody who's making over a million dollars a year on a course. And um, this guy was like, hey, I, I, I do. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, fantastic. There's only like 100 members in here. What are the odds? And uh, so then he emailed me and he sent me the screenshots of his dashboard and then like a work walkthrough of his method. And I was like, this is fucking great. So, so I saw the numbers. So it's yeah. legit. So he's, he's, you know, he's making a lot. So we'll see how much he wants to share. Um, Thomas Wang. Yeah, Wang. Tom, Tom Wang. So uh, and then, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. So let me call this guy. Tom. Hey, Don. Yes. What's up, man? Turn that up. I want to hear hey, it. Hey, how are you, man? Uh, we're doing fantastic. All right. So you are on the podcast right now. <laughs> uh, I'm here with Sam. Oh, great. We got our boy Henry on the camera. So it's all it's all happening right now. Everything you dreamed of, it's happening. So I wanted to call you because uh, I was telling him, I posted in the group about, hey, I want to talk to somebody who's making a million dollars a year doing a course, and you showed up with the goods. And so I wanted you to tell whatever you're comfortable telling. Tell your story. We got a couple questions. Um and just, just so you know, you could share everything, and then at the end, we'll bleep out shit that's too sensitive, okay? Okay, sounds good. Okay. Um, yeah, so my story, uh, I guess for me, it's always been like a side hustler. Um, ever since I was growing up, I was trying different ways to make money, from selling watches at the night market, selling hoverboards, all these different things. Um, never really had any guidance from anybody else, but uh, when I was selling hoverboards, I was trying to, you know, just create a website, and I knew nothing about e-commerce at the time. So I thought you can just create a website, get a Facebook page, and you can start making money online. And obviously, that's not the case. And uh, during that time, someone actually approached me and said, hey, I can actually sell these hoverboards for you on Amazon. And I live in Vancouver, Canada, and Amazon back in 2015, I thought it was just a place where people buy old textbooks from. I've never bought anything on Amazon before. So I was pretty skeptical. I was like, uh, sure, okay, well, I guess, you know, if you think, he was, he was talking pretty big. So I was like, all right, just let's see what you can do. And he ended up selling a bunch of hardboards on Amazon uh, before Amazon actually pulled down all the hoverboards because, you know, things were exploding and stuff like that. <laughs> so that's how it discovered Amazon. And then from there, basically just, you know, um, thought it was just going to be another side hustle, but it actually turned out to, uh, well, it turned from side hustle into a seven-figure business. Um, and right now, we're actually um, going through an acquisition, so we're trying to sell the business right now. Yeah, a couple questions. So first, uh, 
for everybody listening, he basically started an FBA business, uh, got it to work. And FBA got, means uh, fulfilled by Amazon, uh, so selling selling a product on yeah. Amazon, and then the, co- right. the course teaches other people how to do the same. So that's how the course and what you're talking about connect. So right now you're in the process of selling a seven figure FBA business, and you have a seven figure course that teaches people how to do their own FBA business. So that's the lay of the land. Is he going to reveal the first one? Yeah. What can you talk about about the actual business itself? Yeah. So um, I can reveal, like, obviously, I mean, based on the based on the conversation you had with Paul, like, we're going through acquisition right now, so I can't really reveal the name of the business or anything like that for sensitive reasons. But uh, it's a skincare business. Uh, it's in the beauty niche. And I started that business with my girlfriend in 2017. We started with one product, which was a um, uh, like a face serum that you put on your face, and we had no idea what we were doing. But the first month, we did like seven thousand dollars in sales, and we're like, "Whoa!" Like people are actually buying this product from us on Amazon. Like, what is going on here? We had no idea what we were doing, and from there, the first year we finished the year off at like one hundred twenty-three thousand dollars in sales. I was working a nine-to-five job at that time, so I really, really wanted to quit my nine-to-five so I could focus on Amazon. And then the second year, we were able to scale that to $1.7 million. And then last year, we did $3 million. Um, this year, if we don't sell our business, we have plans to do about $6 million. So it's growing pretty rapidly. Um, but yeah, we do private label. You know, Some of the products that we have are actually custom formulated. I don't use any of the products myself. I'm definitely not passionate about skincare or anything like that. My girlfriend is. So I'm just helping her with like the marketing side of things, branding. Uh, you know, optimization on Amazon SEO and all that. What would your income be in six million in sales? Well, this year we're projected to do six million, but last year our EBITDA was about thirty percent. Wow, that's amazing! And what could it sell for? Three or four times income? Yeah, so the market value can go anywhere between roughly two to six x. So that's obviously a huge range. Um, the ones that are on the lower end are just products on Amazon that are just like not branded, for example, like like rose gold balloons or some random things like that, like very commoditized. But with our product <laughs> that is branded, um, you can definitely get it on a little bit higher end. So we're hoping to get at least a 4X of EBITDA, but um, yeah, we'll see what the brokers can do. Nice. Okay, good. So, so congrats on the FBA business. And then tell us about the course. So why did you switch to that? Because I'm always skeptical. Like when somebody's selling a course <laughs> about how to make money, I'm yeah. like, if you knew that secret, <laughs> you would just be doing it. And you're, in your case, to your, in fairness, you are actually doing it. But why did you decide yeah. to do the course and then talk about how big that's become? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the reason why I launched the course oh. is because when I first started Amazon, 30? Um, I was following all the other gurus that I was, it's just free information, right? Like you go and type in how to make money on Amazon, you see a guy with a Lamborghini, you're like, oh, this guy probably knows what he's doing. So you click on his ad <laughs> and like video and you start watching his videos, like, oh, this makes sense. But then the, tr- the, the problem is when I started implementing the strategies this guy was teaching, um, it didn't work out for me. I'm like, I did exactly what you told me to do and it's not working out. Like what is the disconnect here? And I later found out that a lot of these gurus uh, with the you know the Lambos and the whatever, a lot of them don't sell on Amazon. They are just really good at you know copying other people's information and making it into their own and package it together and sell a course. So for me, I actually never thought I would launch a course. I basically just started documenting my journey on YouTube. I was like, I got a camera. I'm like, hey, like this is day 56 of my Amazon journey. Like things are not going so well, but you know we'll see what happens. So I started just documenting my journey, and then from there, uh, people kind of liked my 
realness, um, authenticity, and people started following me. And then as I started started getting slowly started getting an audience, people were asking me the same questions over and over again. I'm like, well, what if I just launch a course? Would you guys be interested in that? And I remember the first course that I launched, <laughs> I, it was $100 a month for three months. I got 50 people in it, and I was like, wow, like people actually gave me $100 from teach from Amazon. So that was kind of cool. And then from there, um, I did a couple more of the, those courses. I, the price went up a little bit. But um, so I do a little bit of different uh, structure than most other people. I actually do in-person workshops. Um, I have a friend who lives in Singapore who also sells on Amazon. I started seeing a lot of his posts on Amazon or on Facebook where he's speaking in front of like hundreds of people. I'm like, hey, like, what are you doing in Singapore? He's like, oh, I actually teach people how to sell on Amazon uh, in person. I'm like, that's interesting. And I thought that was gone. Like, I thought the webinars is the, the way, the funnels, the webinars, all that type of stuff. It's like, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's blue ocean. Like, I have no competitors. So I'm like, that's interesting. So I ended up making a deal with him where he taught me how to do exactly what he does in Singapore. So I started doing it in Vancouver, um, and I, I've never spoken on stage or anything like that before, so I was scared shitless, as you can probably imagine. And the first time, like 150 people showed up and listened to my, basically my spiel, and at the end, I pitched the webinar, and I was just shitting my pants the whole entire time. Um, so that's how I got started. I started gotcha. that, I did that for a year. Tom. My point is around $3,000 Canadian. And I taught about 800 people locally here in Vancouver. Um, and this year, it's pretty much just rinse and repeat. I'm just yeah, doing the same thing here in Vancouver. Gotcha. Sam has got a couple questions for you. How, how much? How much did that uh, first one cost? That was 1997 Canadian. 1997. Are you saying a thousand dollars? Wow. If I can get about 150 people into the room, I can pro on a good day, I can convert about 20% of the room. On a bad day, it's about 15% of the room. So the, the conversion rate kept on going up, going up around 20%. And then I was really, really scared of like an internal fear that I had to bump up the price a little bit more. I'm like, oh, it's already so expensive. But my, um, my coach Wait, is like, hey, so I bump it up a little bit more. What so, happens? So pause so for, pause for a sec. Like, I understand the model. So ask me some questions. Okay. So we're having a little wonky audio thing. Uh, yeah. The 150, yeah, yeah. 150 people paid a G to show up. So, so basically, what he does is he does a, he does Facebook ads that basically say, "Hey, come learn this thing." And it's 20, free. It's twenty bucks. Just oh, come. It. It's like a meetup. They come and he gets you know sixty, hundred people in the room. There, he gives them like two hours of awesome content. He shows them, look, I actually. And do then that next and one then he is says, the Yo, if you want to do the work weekend workshop, that one's. A grand, two grand, Got three it. grand, whatever it is, and then that's where you know if you get if you charge two grand and you're getting fifty people to do it, uh, you know you're generating you know whatever hundred k a month, and um, and that that adds up to a million bucks a year. Did, right? did you, Tom? Did you feel sleazy? Did you feel sleazy when you were doing this? I'm not judging you here. I'm just telling you that's what most people are going to think. Yeah, a lot of people who who see somebody you know teaching a workshop or a class on how to get rich and then upselling the class and saying, hey, this was the cheap one, but if you want to go deeper, right, like. It doesn't mean it is sleazy, but <laughs> yeah. some people some some people shy away because yeah. they're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy. You know? Did you have that fear? Or, yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. So for me, I've always I feel like my motivation has always been trying to help other people. Because uh, growing up, um, I'm like an immigrant from China. When I came here, my parents were broke as a joke, um, and I wanted to be rich when I grew up. So. Growing up, like no one wanted to help me, no one saw any potential in me. So I want to help other people that were kind of in the same world position as me. So when it comes to sleaziness, um, I think I'm kind of like the anti, 
the anti-guru. Like, I go up on stage wearing hoodie and shorts. Because I tell people, I'm like, this is the real me. I'm not, like, this is the real me. This is what I wear on a daily basis. I don't wear a big suit, a fancy tie, a pocket square, trying to sell you into a weekend workshop. If you want to come and learn from me, great. If you don't want to come learn from me, I have tons and tons of free information on YouTube that I'm going to share with you anyway. Right. So this is just a fast track for you to, to, to actually learn. Um, so I don't feel sleazy at all because when I get results from my students, uh, it makes me really, really happy. But a lot of times what I do feel like is am I worthy enough to actually teach and ask people for $3,500 or $33,000, even though, you know, I have a successful Amazon business and so on and so forth. So sometimes I feel that way. It's like, Hey, like, you know, am I worthy? Like, am I, are you the right person to teach? Um, and I feel like that's just like a self-confidence thing sometimes. And, uh, Tom, is there anything that we, cause we like to keep these, uh, these guest segments short where you pop in and you, you help educate the world on, Hey, you know, here's, here's something I figured out. Um, because we're, we're like you, we're trying to share, share interesting pathways, knowledge so that people can see a variety of options and see that there's a million ways to win. And I think your way of winning was pretty dope. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to share? You could shout out your course, what, whatever you want. We'll, uh, we'll link to it. We'll too. link to it in the, in the show notes. Just, uh, anything else you want to share? Any, any good stories, good tidbits you wanted to share? I think there's a lot of people that are, I, I think a lot of listeners are people that maybe they're working at nine to five, maybe they're like, you know, already have a successful business, whatever. But for the people that are listening that have a nine to five, I want to start a side hustle that maybe eventually will become a full-time hustle. And then so they can quit their job and, you know, do this business. I just think that selling on Amazon is just such a good opportunity. And obviously that sounds biased, but trust me, I've done so many other businesses and nothing has worked. So if I'm someone who can figure this out, um, it's just buying something for cheap from China and selling it for a little bit more. And Amazon gives you all the customers ready. So I just think it's a really, really good opportunity. And in terms of the uh, shout out to the course, I, I don't teach online. I only teach locally. So if you're in Vancouver, you can come to my workshop. It's called FBA Masterclass. Um, but if you're online, if you're somewhere, you know, somewhere else, um, maybe one day I'll have an online course. But right now I don't. Cool. Tom, you're the man. Uh, thanks for calling in, dude. Thank you. I, I think this, this, what you build is pretty awesome. Thank you so much, guys. All right. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. You know, I've, I've done those. Um, yeah, I attended one of yours. You, so yeah. Tell that story a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I'm a self-taught copywriter, which means I studied it, but I'm only average. Neville. You're above average. Come on. I'm, I'm pretty good, but <laughs> I'm not formally educated. Neville is uh, my best friend, yeah. our good friend. And he is uh, same boat, but better, self-taught and very good. And we just said, we're going to go to Sean's office, uh, show up. I think we said it's $1,000. Yep. I think maybe 25 people came. Yeah, it was uh, basically, it was an all day. It was one all, day, right? All day. It was one day, morning till sort of evening. And uh, it was great. You and Neville were up there. We each made about 10 Gs on a Saturday. Yeah, like 30 people or so, I would say, were in the crowd. They'd all paid to be there. Everyone was excited to be there. Some, and, and I think it was only 14 days notice. People flew in. Right. Yeah, you guys did it kind of on a whim. And I saw that. I was like, this is awesome. This guy, you know, just made five grand or 10 grand on a Saturday. Like, I think this, we each made 10 grand. That's, that's amazing. And you guys were just talking about what you know. It was very intimate group. Everybody got to like workshop their shit. So it was like, hey, I'm trying to get better. I'm, you know, I have this landing page. How would you improve this? And he would put it up on the big screen and we would just workshop it together. Yeah. And I attended uh, because you and you Jason know, did. I wanted to learn. Yeah. And, um, and I have, dude, I have like two pages of notes from that day. And I, you know, I got to go for free because I let you host it. But I was like, this is actually really valuable. Why didn't you do more of that? 
Don't know. We yeah. should. We should. There's no reason. <laughs> I should. We could do it here. I love Tom's model where, uh, like I said, blue ocean. So like the tr- conventional wisdom is mm-hmm. online course, but online, yes, you can reach the whole market, but you're competing against the whole market. Yeah. So if you're trying to be, hey, here's how you make money selling on on uh, Amazon. There's a lot of other people doing that. But what he realized was, look, in Vancouver, there's nobody, and you know he turned out to be right with that insight, which was that. Every month, he could get you know another hundred people to show up, and that in person experience was like more than worth what they paid. You for. know, we should do that. Actually, you yeah, and me and the hustle do should do that. The reason I didn't do it, well, first of all, it's for anyone listening. It, there's an unfair advantage of having an audience. Yes. So like it would be practically no work. no work for us. Yeah. Uh, so that's great. Uh, Neville, I don't know how many people are on his email list. I, I don't know this for a fact. I would guess fifty to a hundred thousand. Yep. My personal Sampar on my email list, well, not the hustle, uh, probably 5,000. So I could just send out a thing and it would sell out. So uh, the reason why I didn't do it, it's pretty exhausting if you're not... I don't. I get energy from that. I just love hearing my own voice. That's why I like the podcast. Yeah. You, well, like you're you're naturally a teacher, so I would like to. I would partner with you. Neville's like that too. Right. I went home. Like when I went home, I needed like two days to recover. And so it ruins your weekend, which is no big is deal. Interesting, right. So copywriting is, I think, an interesting niche. The other one, you know, just a more generic one is we're here in San Francisco. There's a lot of people who want to be in a startup, but they haven't figured out how to sort of transition from that nine to five into starting their own company or how to raise money on any of these topics where I've done it and. I've done it multiple times. I know how to do this. Uh, just pick a niche and let's do it. We should have that discussion. Yeah. I think that like overnight it would make tens of thousands of dollars in incremental revenue. Right. A month. Uh, and great. most importantly, I love doing it. Okay. So this is Wait, great. let me tell you a yes. story real quick. Please. I tweeted out about this and it got a little traction. So and I just, it's a good way to kick off the podcast. So in 2015, I got this email from this guy. Very typical Asian name, so it wasn't like remember it wasn't memorable. Um, I mean, there's ten million people with the same name, and I got an email. Uh, Eric, Eric Bond introduced me, I think, and he said, "Hey, my name is this. I I do this." And it was a mildly interesting pitch, but he said, "I would love to speak at HustleCon and tell the story of X." Right. And I I I, I don't know if I ignored it, but I no response. I I could have replied. I don't remember. But I did not take him up on the offer. He emailed me again in 2017 or 18, and he goes, I'm running for president. Um, (laughs) And this is Andrew Yang. It's Andrew Yang who it is. I'm running for president. Um, Do you want to, like, interview me and read? Would you please review my book and talk about it on The Hustle? I didn't reply. Uh, I forgot all about it. You tweeted this out. I tweeted it out. I forgot all about it. I've been watching the presidential debates, and Sarah, my wife, ends up donating money to Andrew Yang. And I'm like, this Andrew Yang guy, he sounds kind of interesting. I feel like that's a mem. I I remember that name somehow when I looked up my email. (laughs) He was the guy who was emailing me. That's crazy that you just remembered it. So if you want to see the tweet, it's at the Sam Parr. And so I'm going to go to it right now. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is you tweeted back and I'm like, sorry, if you still want to talk, yeah. let me know, bro. <laughs> and, uh, and I totally missed that one. Okay. So his exact thing was, uh, this is in 2018. This is not that long ago. Not that He emailed me uh, 15 and an 18. And so he goes, do you think The Hustle might do a book feature? You know, I, I can get the book to the editor, see what he thinks. If you send an intro, I can take it from there. I feel, I feel like this would move some units. And, uh, you know, Andrew Yang, founder of Venture for America. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I first I thought Venture for America, I was like, that's some nonprofit. What the, that's a small thing. Right. And second, um, I get a lot of people asking for that. And I just didn't take it up on him. I didn't take him up on it and uh, missed that one. Dude, that's so funny. Uh, 
you know, the 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 other thing that he did, uh, like I looked into his past because he's got a business background. Yeah. I was like, what's the business? It, it was a GMAT. It was like a GMAT prep That's how thing. Eric Bond, my buddy and uh, partner, uh, right. he's an investor him. in the hustle, right? He's an investor in the hustle, yeah, helped us get started. And he um, owned Beat the GMAT, which he sold. So he knew all the GMAT guys. And he was right. like, this Eric guy is going to run for president. And I was or Andrew. Andrew. Andrew guy is going to run for president. And I was like, Eric, I don't want to talk to this guy. I'm going to look like an idiot. This guy has no chance of... Right. Like, I'm going to look like a stupid fool for, like, saying, oh, yeah, this tech guy is going to run for president. <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I totally was wrong. Uh, all right. So, brainstorm. What else we got? What are, what, are, what are some other topics? I got a bunch written down. I don't know which one I want to start with. But do you have any that you've been wanting to talk about? Two things. So, not ideas, but things that are good. Uh, the first one is last week we had Brendan from the agency. Uh, I immediately got a text afterwards once you published it from a guy who says, I have an agency that does $50 million in sales. Um, we sell to a lot of the same people, but we're located in a cheaper region. Uh, I'm trying not to give too much information. We're located in a cheaper region, and our margins are 50%. Yep. And apparently during the podcast, I asked, why aren't you located in Missouri, where I'm from? Right. And the guy was like, he should, because we make... We do that. We do that. And on $50 million in sales, we do $25 million in profit. Right. So I've been looking at this. Uh, there's been some, some stuff written about Utah lately. The best. So, I read the same article probably you're referring to. So there's this thing, which is like sort of the Mormon Valley, where, you know, the new yeah. Silicon Valley. There's, there's a bunch of companies that are really big that are based in Utah. And there's way more shady internet marketing companies that so you probably So all the know. MLMs yeah. are based in Utah. And all the uh, a lot of the call centers, and then then there's some like totally you know like no no asterisks next to their name like Domo, and there's some others that are like you know, enter- enterprise companies, Skull Candy, Stance Socks. Right. I think Adobe is started by a Utah Mormon guy. Right, but some are based there, and some are started by Mormons. And uh, the qu- interesting question is why, right? And so a lot of people will sort of speculate that because Mormons go on their mission, and they have to go door to door selling, a, you know, a religion essentially, and they're you know. That makes you fucking tough because you're getting rejected all the time. Well, when your conversion rate is like 0.1% and you're like, oh, this other thing has a 3% conversion rate. That's easy. (laughs) And uh, and then on top of that, you know, there's a sort of network effect of other people you can tap into that have similar sort of sales persuasion, you know, skills. And uh, and they're creating hubs. And it's way cheaper. They they, they don't drink. They're hardworking. They uh, tie. So they give 10% of their income to... Uh, the church, so they're probably like, I need to make a lot of money. Right. Uh, so I'm interested in Utah for many reasons. I just want to go out there. So I want to go. I want to go with you. look at real estate. Let's go meet some of these companies. Let's go. What's up with these MLMs? Let's go meet them. Let's go find out what's you know what's what because they obviously have a stigma. But I'll go with you. In I think it's very interesting. Yeah. Let's Qualtrics, uh, well, the largest software company to sell, I think. Qualtrics is from there. Right. Um, ClickFunnels, which some people think is scammy, they're right. from there. But he's a great salesman, and it's a good product. I think it's a good product. I do too. Um, so if you're listening to this or you're from Utah, host us. Tell, take us around. Give us a tour. We, we're, we're itching to go to Utah. Um, and then the second thing I want to do, I'm going to do this in our Trends Facebook group. What I'm going to do is, I think a great way to come up. I love investing in software companies, and I like. I would love to start one one day. Um, I uh, and what I've been doing is looking at our expenses so we spend a certain amount of money each month yep i'm i like to look at our quickbooks and be like where are we spending our money i'm just gonna get rid of some stuff that i don't want to reveal i'm gonna post our expenses in our facebook group right and i think that's an interesting way to see and i'd love to see others too because that's where you're gonna see some patterns and opportunities so i'm gonna do that um i'm gonna publish that you also need to publish your thing your uh (laughs) 
the my import export list. Uh, yeah, uh, I have one idea. The problem so sometimes I have these ideas that I still think I'm going to do, and I don't share them. But in reality, I'm not actually going to go do them. Well, and just so, delete some of them. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I should do that. But then I feel weird. I'm like, I'm here's my idea list, but I took away the good ones that I would actually do. Right? No, so. I don't think you should feel weird. I do that too. <laughs> so like, I invested in a company that was based off a trends report and someone asked me which one it is and I was like, I'm not going to tell you. Right. <laughs> I, I don't want to reveal it yet. Yeah, sometimes, you know, but I think that's part of being real, right? It's like, look, when there's actually an edge or, you know, there's an actual arbitrage that I'm I'm currently exploiting, I'm no fool. I'm not going to tell you about something that I'm right. currently exploiting that I know is so easy that you're going to exploit it too. And uh, if you're listening, I apologize. But I'm also smart. That's what the smart person does. And sometimes if it's like, hey, I noticed this. I'm not going to exploit it. Then cool. Let me give it away for free. You go exploit Which it. Which is most. Yeah, because I don't have the time to do most things. Yes. There's just a couple things that I'm going to do. Um, so anyways, I want to talk about that. Uh, a couple of random companies I want to talk about. So... Tell me if you have an opinion. Rapid fire. Uh, Byte, which is the new Vine, the founder of Vine, relaunched yeah. Vine. What do you I think? signed up and got the handles <laughs> that I wanted. Yeah, squat on it and then move on. <laughs> yeah. Right when I signed up, a lot of the handles were already gone. And uh, I'm like, I'm, it's weird. I'm not an old person yet, but I looked at it like an old person. I saw a bunch of young, cool people on it. So I automatically <laughs> thought it was going to be a hit. <laughs> it's like TikTok. Yeah. Uh, what I think is interesting there is... They're, the product actually is worse than TikTok. TikTok's a much better product than Vine ever was and then Byte started as. But uh, the cool thing is that TikTok has a um, – because it's from that Chinese company and there's like – there's some fear around like how much do we want to trust this as Chinese company be. that controls this algorithm that's – that well, They're trying to move their headquarters. So I think one interesting thing is it might be the first time foreign policy or sort of the like fear of the enemy in the east uh, might get somebody to switch social networks. I don't know. That's what Daniel Gross was also speculating. I agree. Was that that's a potential thing. Uh, Free idea. I deleted TikTok the other day because of the whole Chinese thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. And I love TikTok. Uh, Free idea. I don't know if it's a good idea, but I like it. So there's this curve that shows AirPod sales. And we talked about this before when we talked about selling AirPod uh, accessories. On on trends, we did AirPod accessories. And so the AirPod sales curve looks like insane. It's just this hockey stick, over 100 million units sold. And um, I saw this tweet that got my attention, which was that kids in school are basically swapping one AirPod. Yeah, Um, Scott Belsky shared it. Exactly. So Scott Belsky shared this. Uh, Shout out to Scott. And... um, it's interesting because then you can play something and your friend list, your friend can hear it. It's this like silent communication network uh-huh. that's like secretive from the teachers, which is actually the, the backstory of how Snapchat grew too was if Snapchat's first growth was they put it on iPads in classrooms so you could send self-destructing messages to other kids in other classrooms and the teacher could never catch it because the message goes away once you see it. And so similar sort of thing where uh, kids are swapping AirPods, which lets them silently secretly communicate with each other, sort of Harry's Potter style. And... Uh, I think it's interesting. Once everybody gets AirPods, or as so many people get AirPods, can you create a social network on top? I know a couple of people are trying to do that. I've seen a couple startups trying to do this. But imagine being able to, I just say a message quietly where only my sort of AirBud can pick it up. And I say your name, uh, and it sends it to you, and you hear it in your ear. Nobody else even knew that message got transmitted. Or I text you something, but it plays in your ears so sort of text to speech. it's just going to revolutionize cheating. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm into it. If you're allowed to have he- headphones in when you're when you're doing stuff. Can, can I let me give you another one? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I met up with Chris Redlitz. He's one of my investors. He is a history of doing a lot of amazing stuff. He has a charity or a nonprofit called The Last Mile. Have you heard of this? I've heard it's like the uh, prison. Yeah, so what they right? do is they created software classes for prisoners so they can get them a job when they get out. Right. I went to 
San Quentin and volunteered, and we just walked around the yard in San Quentin. Right. It was amazing. Anyway, what he's doing is it's a nonprofit, but he's going to potentially launch a private business on top of it. And what he is, what he's lobbying the government to do is allow prisoners to have iPhones, mm. and it will be in a closed network. And the iPhones will allow you because at San Quentin they don't even have name badges. They right. you, they literally have to count the inmates. Uh, Manually, Right. Four or eight times a day, something like that. And he's trying to do that. And he's trying to get the phones for free because he's going to be like, hey, AT&T, look, there's a million prisoners a year when they if they someone does something good for them or a million people a year get out of prison. If they do something, if so, if you do something good for them while they're in prison, they know your network. Right. You could sell them. So what are, you, what are they going to be able to do with the phones? You said close network. So what can they do? What can't they do? Well, call home. OK. Um, check in to uh, uh, it'll help the the guards track right. I, yeah and so they can help like make sure everyone's where they need to be and uh they're what he's considering doing is building a network for them mm. which is kind Commu- of interesting a communication Communic- network yeah there's i don't know the the logistics of it because there's a ton, there has to be a ton right. when you're dealing with criminals um <laughs> but it's kind of similar to what you're describing yeah these like sort of niche communication or new communication uh networks and really if, cool business, if you can do, build a communication product you, you win like that's the the basis of all kind of human interaction but his niche is prisoners right and when he was explaining the idea it sounds wild like this is wrong and then you start getting into it you're like huh okay that kind of makes sense right uh i started using this product called change paste have you ever heard of this uh-uh um, so I read this, I was looking, you know, I'm scrolling on Instagram and this D2C company got me. They were like, look, look how many uh, toothpaste bottles get thrown away every year, right? It's like insane, right? We all oh, you told me go through it, yeah. so many of these and, um, and it's, you know, it's killing the environment. And also like, it's kind of a pain in the ass to use a normal toothpaste bottle because you're sort of, by the end of it, you're sort of squeezing out the last bit. It gets all crusty on top. You lose the lid, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So what these guys do is a simple tablet and it's a version of dry toothpaste, which is this niche thing today that I think could get bigger. So it's a tablet. You put it in your mouth. You start to bite on it. You chew it. And then you just put a wet toothbrush in your mouth and it becomes toothpaste. So it's essentially zero waste because it comes in this like compostable little pouch. Um, the dry toothpaste is like uh, the dry tablet. doesn't use all the chemicals that like Crest and others do. So this reminded me of like a native deodorant style business. I don't know how well they're doing. I've been trying to reach out to the founders because I really like this product. Do you know how much traffic it has on similar web? I haven't checked. I haven't looked into the, the sales or the traffic yet, but it really caught my attention because I think it's a win-win. It's doing good for the world. Great for traveling. I think it's, yeah, I think it's more convenient. It's actually a better experience uh, and it's just different. And I think that a lot of people like to do something different. I'm one of them. I'll try anything. And, um, and this one caught my eye where I'm like, this is good. And it has all those characteristics where... You're going to consume it in a month. So they sell you 65 tablets, which is two brush your teeth twice a day for 30 days. How much does it cost? Um, I can't remember how much I paid. I think it was like nine, nine bucks or something. It's like more than toothpaste, but it wasn't a huge $9? outlet. Yeah. I, I don't know the exact price. Maybe they could charge more. I don't remember what it was, but I'm going to repeat purchase, right? Because once I adopt this, this is going to be my thing. And so I'm pretty bullish on this. And I, I, I'm curious if, if this is going to be a thing. That's cool. I'll tell you another one. Um, someone, Nick Sharma, who is an D2C associate of ours, yeah. Um, he helped. Do you see what the thing that they launched? The 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 emergency pack. Lucy, yeah, Lucy is it called or no? Lucy's Juicy? A, something like that. Judy, Judy. <laughs> um, I hate a lot of these new D 2 C things. I don't hate that one. So explain what it is. So Judy is what? I'll buy it. Uh, so it's a container that has. 
supplies for an emergency. Um, I live in California. Maybe there will be an earthquake. Right. It's supposed to have the supplies for that. I think flashlight or some type of radio that's a crank. So the cool thing they do is based on where you live, they kind of know what disaster you're likely to have. And so they create the the to-go bag, your emergency go bag based off of, okay, California, it's earthquakes. This is what you would need and how much you would need. And I have a feeling the way that you can discover this product or one like it is, is Costco public? A public company? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Hmm. I'd be wrong. I might be wrong. So Costco has one. Yeah. It's probably pretty good. Anything Costco sells is... They have an emergency bag? Yeah. What I imagine, the way that I would have came up with this is I would have... You can If you if they're public, I think they're public. If, if they're public, you can read Costco's annual report and you could see... And they'll probably mention like products that are doing shockingly well. Right. And I bet you uh, emergency kits were one of them. That's uh, cool. I like that. I like that idea. It caught my eye too. Uh, you didn't even tell me about that one. I separately saw it and I was like, "Ooh, this is interesting." Yeah, I, I think that Nick uh, launches a lot of interesting things. He he launched. He's uh, not the founder, but I think he's the kind of help launch. Yeah, he helped uh, do this. Costco is public. You're right. They are. So yeah. you could read Costco's annual report, and and I guarantee they'll say like interesting things. And so like everyone talks about Kirkland jeans. It's like, well, why do they talk about Kirkland jeans? You just go there and you figure out why, and you make that right. Um, uh, Nick launched uh, this thing called Hot House. It's like a basically, basically what they did, and I think this is stupid. I want them to win because I like when people win. I think this is a horrible idea, but I think I'll be proven wrong, likely. But you can't ship liquor. You can ship wine. Or you can ship, but it's, there's rules. Right. You can ship wine. It's a lot easier to ship wine. It's so hard. So what they did was they made like a liquor that has low percentage of alcohol and they branded it as don't get too fucked up just get a little fucked up right <laughs> uh, <laughs> tipsy yeah <laughs> and it's kind of interesting we'll see just make up for it in volume <laughs> yeah well that's what i think will happen right <laughs> but it's it's kind of funny i don't i don't get it i'm a non-drinker though i thought it was non-alcoholic whiskey and i was like that's really dumb right but i drink non-alcoholic beer a lot yeah that could be interesting uh, I got a different one for you. Have you heard of Mystery Science, the company, not the old show? Yeah. Uh, uh, so I'll, I'll explain it. Yeah. You maybe you'll catch up. So this is one of those companies where I saw it and I got jealous I didn't create it, which is like because it's in my niche of like I love education, uh, but they did a novel way of doing it. So what they did was these guys were ex-Google, I think. I don't know exactly. One guy's a teacher. One guy was ex, ex-Google or Facebook. And they created this company called Mystery Science. And what they do is they're like, look um, – Kids always start out curious, right? If you meet a kid, and, like when they're young, they're like, why does this happen? What is this? Why is, a volca- why is lava red? You know, how does a volcano work? And they're just always asking questions. And then like over time, our curiosity sort of wanes to the point where when by the time you're an adult for most people, you're like, oh, I don't want more. Inf- yeah. You resist learning. And so what they were like is, look, kids are naturally curious. How do we keep that curiosity? Uh, but how do we build it around STEM education? And they noticed that like elementary school teachers can teach math, reading, social studies, uh, pretty well but science is hard it takes time to like set up experiments also you have to actually know the million questions why this happens and often you're out of your depth and so they're like look we're going to be science education as a service to elementary schools raised a little bit of money like maybe three million six million something like that um 
profitable company. They're doing millions of, I, I believe, over $10, $10 million a year um, in business. 50% of elementary schools, they say, use them. Um, so they have like massive penetration just with elementary school science education. So they give the teacher a video that, that plays and it's like um, the video pauses five minutes in. So it'll present a, it starts with a question like, um, what happens if you kept, like if you drilled into the earth, what would happen if you kept going? Which is like an interesting question. And then they start to explore it and they take you to what you What's know. What's the answer? I don't know, but like that's what, you know, that's what, they, that's what they teach. I haven't, Great taken, question. I haven't taken the courses. Um, but it would be like, why is Mars red? All the other planets aren't red. Why is Mars red? And so they just evoke this curiosity and then they teach you through this video lesson and teachers don't have to do the work of preparing curriculum, which is always hard, takes time. So they get this best in class curriculum. They make the video once and it just gets distributed to all schools. Awesome business, awesome for students, awesome for teachers, awesome moneymaker, love this business. Amazing. Uh, what I would love to learn, I don't know anything about this, is how hard is it to sell into a school? So, so if you have to sell into a public school, I bet it's like the hardest thing around. So I want to get the founder on this because I want to talk to him about it, but I read some interviews and they were like, yeah, so here's the thing about schools. <laughs> they go, all of our investors told us this and it was true. It's probably right. just bullshit. It's an enterprise sales cycle without the enterprise price tag. So you got to go through the slow bureaucracy, but you don't get to charge a hundred grand or a million dollars a year. Cause but once you're in, you're in. Once you're in, you're embedded. And uh, but they, what they did say is the world is changing a little bit, and teachers are more empowered to get stuff adopted just themselves. And uh, if you like design it that way, it's kind of like how Slack got adopted just by a department rather than the CIO making a decision for the company. That's cool. And so that's what they say more than ever. Teachers just individually pick it up. I don't believe that. And go. If that's, I believe maybe that is changing. Right. But if I know anything about schools, public, this public school system, which is not a lot, by the way, uh, but the little that I do know, it seems just bureaucratic. Right. Very, very, very hard to sell into. I believe that to be true. Like I, I do Blackboard and, and I still uh, you remember Blackboard? Yeah. Like I imagine those things are quite huge, um, but uh, horrible to sell to. There's another company that's like this uh, that I saw called Kahoot. Have you ever heard of these guys? No. So they're, if you just type Kahoot annual report, it's all online so you can see this. I don't remember the t numbers off the top of my head, but what they do is they get it's like a learning based game so it's kind of like um, you put a it's like it's like a trivia thing that teachers can do in, in class so it's like question and then the students all buzz in their answer like multiple choice and then uh, from a phone or a device and then it like tell it like tells you if you got it right or wrong and like somebody wins in the end it's like these little short mini games companies are using this for like their all hands and stuff like that it sounds like quizlet and and, and they're doing uh I want to say 200 million plus in revenue. It's insane how big this business is, Kahoot. Uh, and, and check out their annual report. It's Do like you know shocking. Quizlet? I've heard of Quizlet through our Bootstrapped. I think their office was down the street from my office a long time ago. Bootstrapped. Are they flashcards? Flashcards. Digital yeah. flashcards. Bootstrapped. I don't remember. I looked it up a while ago. If they were in the 50 to 100 million revenue range, I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Pretty amazing. Crazy shit. Um, another school kind of related thing. Have you seen the documentary Cheer? Uh, I you haven't probably heard it. about it. I saw it on Netflix. Yeah. It's a cheerleading documentary on Netflix. And they only mentioned this for about two minutes about this thing called Varsity Cheer. Okay. And they barely mention it. And it's who hosts the national championship. And you have to pay money. They didn't. They mentioned it because Varsity Cheer didn't allow Netflix's cameras to be inside the championship. Right. 
So I just got curious and looked it up. <laughs> uh, it's a company that recently sold to Bank Capital, I think, for $4 billion. Varsity Cheer? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the, the var- Maybe the high two school bi- varsity cheerleading <laughs> league, essentially. A league yeah. for the same amount the UFC sold for. <laughs> yeah. It could been, have been $2 billion, but I'm almost positive it was 4 And if it wasn't 4 I bet you it would be with earnouts. Right. Uh, Bain, though. Bain bought it. Uh, well, along with KKR, I think. So I looked it up. I did research. They're based in the outskirts of Dallas, Texas. They just monopolized cheerleading. And so they do a lot of... you. A lot of, I, It sounds like people don't like them. Right. Uh, because they own the largest cheer competition. Right. Okay, so they make money off that. You have to use their uniforms in order to participate. And no cameras are allowed, and you have to pay money to view it. Direct. Right. It's crazy. They just monopolize this whole fucking thing. I have to look into this. Varsity Cheer. It's and they own a com- the the company is called Varsity Brands. They monopolize cheerleading, and now they're trying to do other niche sports like volleyball, I think, or right. something like that. Uh, this is go- good news for Play Versus, who's doing high school esports, and they're trying to do basically similar model. Um, I'm curious if it's crazy. If it's it uh, worked well, and it, it kind of actually. This actually isn't related, but have you heard about the scrubs business? Scrubs? Like medical scrubs? Okay, yeah. Tell me about it. I've looked into this because I was thinking about creating Yeah, man. This, these guys, brand. these, it's the same fucking playbook of cute millennial shit. Right. And they just. <laughs> the angst in your voice. <laughs> well, I just, it just, it works. It works so good. But I, for some reason, I have hatred towards it. Uh, they did it for medical scrubs. They hit 100 million in sales this year. Yeah, and so it's, it has a cute name. I forget the name, um, but people are buying. I didn't know this. Nurses buy their own scrubs a lot of times, right? And people are gifting scrubs to nurses, and they're like cool looking, right? They're like a little more fitted, and the patterns are different, but it's like the same. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. There's the same thing for the shoes because people who work in restaurants and doctors and nurses are on their feet so much that they have these like special clogs and I bet you if I bet you that clogs brand it's a high quality product but like well you know Crocs still does a billion dollars a year in sales right so I bet you you know within that niche because there's so it's just such a large profession right like we had um uh, what's her name? Iman on from Incredible Health, and they're yeah. talking about nursing. And there's just so many. There's so many goddamn nurses, and there's actually a shortage. We need more. And so, if you can sell essentially the uniform, either shoes or scrubs, um, you have a, basically a captive market. I agree. Cool. Um, Barstool got acquired. Um, were they already part of Churnin or something? Yeah. So basically, the history, and I know this because I'm in the the same game. They, um, the story is Dave had the thing. Dave Portnoy. Uh, had this business for a long time and he just milked the profit out of it which decreased the valuation which is a lot of people don't realize that's how it works but that's how it did work he's i believe he sold 50 percent of it at only a 15 million dollar valuation years ago four years ago four years ago um then they hired erica uh ceo she opera operationalized it and professionalized it and dave still was able to be kind of crazy and wacky when she joined, she said that they're doing 1.2 million a quarter in sales, and they only had two million in cash. Not a lot. Um, this past year, they got they scared 100 million in sales, sold for 450 million, right? Uh, they sold a portion of the business for 450 million dollars with an option to the company to buy the rest. But Penn National, I looked it up today, their market cap. Last week was two point eight billion. Today, three point six billion. So it doesn't exactly work like this. But ultimately, they bought a four hundred fifty million dollar company 
and made 150 million in sales or made 150 million in market cap additional market cap crazy right yeah that's uh a that's amazing i think barstool is kind of an amazing model and um Somebody tweeted at us today, hey, let's get the Presidente on on this podcast. Uh, do you know the guy? Have you met the guy? Nope. He seems legit. Maybe Erica, I think, would be better. But uh, I don't know. That guy's pretty fucking entertaining. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> uh, Erica is, a, I think, a genius nice. uh, and a true operator. Um, Dave is, I think, brilliant, but at different things. And how copyable is that model not that it's not because what talk, talk through loads of thing. companies have we've had a cup we had okay so the hustle we have two investors one is the founder of the chive and the other is bleacher report mm-hmm. uh they haven't been able to do it right uh, what do you think makes it hard what was there what was special about their situation it's like how hard is it to copy saturday night live mm. really hard so it's on the whole the, the content the culture the fan base yeah the, the magic of that was different yeah it's most in, media it's companies in, do. yeah 100 percent. and so when you look at that what do you think i like, think that we, should, the, we can do that do you think like no that's we should go a different path what do you like when you read that well first Marshall of all i sold, think that in order to build a business like that there's loads of paths and i actually think that they actually probably could have sold for way more but they are inappropriate a lot of people think they are at least right and a lot of big companies are like no we're not touching that espn wouldn't buy them right. even though it makes sense because the politics right the, they're just soft i think yeah espn's a disney company right they're just afraid right most media companies out there i think are built horribly they're they have shit audiences shit content uh and they're shit operators they're losing money like you want to name names or <laughs> well just like the big like like all the big the big companies that have raised lots of money and are unprofitable now. And what makes their audience, you're saying shit audience, what is it about their audience? They don't, so... You're not talking demographics, you're talking about, like, the loyalty. Yeah, so what Barstool did that was great was they have an equal amount of people who hate them, but love them. Right. That's what you need. They're not in the middle zone of like like or apathy. It's exactly why Donald Trump won versus Hillary. A lot of people were like, yeah, I'll vote for her, I guess. What's the big right-wing thing, Breitbart? Yeah, Breitbart. So what I do every morning is I like to go to far left and far right news sites, and I look at the comment section. Breitbart, which is far right, has the most comments of any news site I've ever been to. Right. And that is the one of the highest signals of... So regardless of your politics, from a business perspective, that's what you want. Yes. Extremely high, highly engaged. Yeah, and that's what Barstool has done. Um and so it's really hard to replicate. And yeah. a lot of people, particularly committees, like corporate large businesses that try to like look at this shit in a petri dish and be like, well, how do we replicate this? Well, right. it's really fucking hard because you got to be a maverick a little bit. Um, and so that's why I think a lot of these media companies cannot replicate it. Right. So our podcast stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think let's do starting next week. I think we should let's just try for 30 days two or three times a week okay and Uh, and we'll uh, work work out the details after this but two or three times a week yeah more of this yeah we we asked last time we kind of fished for some compliments we were like hey if you want to see us do more let us know so we got a bunch and so and, and here's what I think my honest opinion is it might be there it might not be there yeah but the experiment is worth doing it is the answer for me for sure is it is not not there. <laughs> what does that mean? What mean? Like, <laughs> explain what you're talking about. It, uh, my hard no. My Twitter, the my the, the amount of Twitter replies I get on Twitter proves that it might be there. Yeah. Um. So not for sure, but not not. <laughs> and I think 
Uh, I don't know what our. I know we don't have to say how many listens it's gotten. Yeah. But uh, it's probably gotten close to a million downloads so far. Yeah, getting close, which is cool because like six months of of effort getting mm-hmm. to a million is a great milestone. Yeah, I, I know for sure what the listens are, but I don't know. I forget what downloads. The downloads are. are a little harder to track than than the listens, but. If you use like uh, what I would call like a conservative rule of thumb, we're either at a million or we're plus or minus ten percent. Yeah, so uh, it's about there. Right. So that's cool. All right. High five. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll talk about that after this, but we'll start doing that. Yeah. Sweet. All right. We're done. <laughs>